actually saw you like a few days ago did we oh yeah you did yeah because my power went out oh yeah <laughs> it was a fun day yeah. oh man it just never ends around here technically my power back in my apartment went out i got the message but oh really yeah <laughs> damn i didn't realize it went that far so she used yeah. to live two miles down the road from me was it only two miles it was only two miles it was yeah. so nice i could just yeah. literally hop down the street <sighs> Now she makes me travel all the way out here. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't make you. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'll, I'll eventually, we can eventually do this in your place. But yeah. I know that I work, so, I mean, you work too, but, like, I work out in the world. Of your yeah. house. <laughs> I'm in the yeah. office and you're still working I'm from home. stuck so. in my one-bedroom apartment, yeah. So I, don't begrudge me your one outing. <laughs> I'm begrudging you the fact that you moved so far from I know, me. but it's so it's great. <laughs> yeah, it is a nicer place, though, oh, so man. there's that, which Yay. is which is good. Yep. Um, so I, I had another kind of listener question come up from the last episode. Fun. And it was kind of related to whether or not historians know what kind of mental illness Henry VI had. Interesting. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the thing with historical figures is there's no way to know for certain because psychiatry is a modern... Psychology. Psychiatry and psychology. I mean, psychiatry links to the medication, but yeah. they're all kind of... <laughs> That's very, linked. very new and still being worked on. Did yeah, just so... just pee in that box? I don't think she did. <laughs> She's talking about Anya, the Grand Duchess. No, because there's a DVD in there. She that didn't... doesn't mean shite. She didn't pee. What DVD is that, I wonder? It's... I'm pretty sure it's like some bullshit rock hard ab workout dvd that's probably never been open because <laughs> these ain't rock hard <laughs> but yeah so i guess the thing i did want to point out is i know and nobody like called us out on this but it was something i was thinking about i know we kind of laughed about the fact that henry the sixth was like just hanging out under a tree yeah but y'all need to know by now that we're not laughing at them and they're struggling we're laughing at the fact he was hanging out under a tree it's, while it's everything was going on <laughs> more it's it's very situational um yeah. we may laugh about a king sitting catatonic under a tree while we're wait or while war wages on around him but we know it's not actually funny it's it's very sad and there was probably a combination of a hereditary related mental illness that he inherited from his grandfather the um the former king of France. And then I don't want to like backtrack on the fact that trauma, I'm sure also oh, yeah. plays into it. The trauma of seeing all of this death going on around and him. And they didn't understand, and people still don't understand today, however many years later, because I don't math, that <laughs> trauma has a huge effect on your life, whether you are aware of it or not. It, it could be an outright, you know, like, you were attacked as a woman and now you hate to be touched. Or it could be something as simple as you don't like the sound of fireworks because you 
we're overseas and you've seen more like yeah and you don't even realize like you sometimes people don't like it's really easy to make a connection of oh i don't like fireworks because it reminds me of gunfire but like that's like an easy that's it's a trigger, funny but... that we're talking about that because my one of my friends and i had this realization that our entire personalities are the result of trauma oh yeah no that's trauma <laughs> builds you like it it makes you who you are i mean I know that there's yeah. some aspects of my personality that are very much, very much. My per my whole personality is a trauma response. <laughs> you were talking about hyper independence and how yeah. that stems from not having any kind of emotional support from care from caregivers growing up. And I was like, my entire personality is a trauma response, but it is what it is. You can't change it. So that's why I always tell people, even if you're not interested in psychology as a career, take a couple psychology classes just because I learned so much about myself from taking psychology classes. You learn about yourself and you also learn about others and how to interact and yeah. Yeah. See different aspects and try to understand, have a better understanding of why people do the things that they do. Don't yeah. excuse anything. But. No, of course not. <laughs> but if you, if you have an idea of where you're, where other people are coming from, it, it gives you an avenue to actually try and reach them. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you can't reach them. That's the thing I've had to learn. Um, I would say in the past year, sometimes you can't reach people and well, people, people need to want to be reached. And there's yeah. some people that just don't want to, don't care to, and you have to let them go. Yep. They're it's not for like, you. if you're you not want to do that, that's, yeah. that's on you. Yeah. And I can't take responsibility. Um, that's the other thing my friend and I were talking about is I'm not going to do the emotional labor for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I've done it my entire life yeah. and I can't do it anymore. Yeah especially right now in this weird world of COVID and isolation, like every day is a struggle mm -hmm. just to function. Yeah. So that's why that's I funny. don't, that's why I don't tell over anymore. I'd like, I just, I'm, I just can't, I already I have, have one so day many week. mental issues where I'm just like, yeah. I already have so many, so many things happening up here in my head that I'm just like, there's, there's no way I, sh I can't add anything onto that. <laughs> I have one day a week where I do go into the office and it, it does help. I yeah. notice being around people. I don't stay the whole time. I stay as long as I can. And then I go home, but yeah. Was I talking to you the other day where I think 100% some kind of like the, the, the perfect medium is some kind of like hybrid schedule where you yeah. work like, you know, two or three days in office. And then the I think other... a lot of people, that's kind of what's coming out of yeah. this whole, at least the work part of this whole pandemic is mm -hmm. that we've found out we can do the rotation yeah. of working at home versus working at the office. And yeah. if you are sick, there's no reason to go in if you are in a position where you can work from home. And I yeah, think there's that will so be many times where like, like Thursday I called out because I wasn't, sick like I was sick I was feeling like shit but I knew I wasn't sick it was from the allergies from the wind on Wednesday yeah because you and I were out walking and yeah man it hit me hard my allergies my sinuses and like you can tell when you're you're ill versus when you just have allergies or, or sinus issues and then you know I'm coughing with lungs because my lungs suck anyway but yeah, yeah and it's like I could have worked from home but I didn't have my computer with me and I didn't want to get up and go into the office to get the computer and then come home yeah so yeah yeah. <laughs> all right well that was a long discussion about trauma one of our discussions never <laughs> not long but this 
You're listening to Difficult Damsels. Hi. I'm Rachel. I'm Kat. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to our therapy corner. To our therapy <laughs> tunnel. No, that's weird. <laughs> that makes we'll it keep sad. Keep it a little therapy nook. Is it a little nook? Like a comfy nook? Yeah. 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 I was trying to do the alliteration, but you know what? Alliteration. <laughs> Therapy, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what starts with a tree house. (gasps) Therapy tree house, yes. If someone doesn't draw a picture of me and Rachel in a tree house with our little mic and like talking to each other, yes, and put like the therapy tree house, then and then either like um, mugs of coffee or glasses of wine. We're drinking water right now, but yeah, yeah. I'm drinking coffee. You didn't offer me coffee because it's coffee from this morning that I didn't drink yet. Whatever. Would you like some coffee, Rachel? (laughs) No, it's okay. Great, because I didn't want to make you coffee. I already had two cups. (laughs) All right, so episode eight is Hojo Masako, the Shogun Nun. I'm so excited for this episode. <laughs> I am so excited. Um, all, all you said to me last week was the Shogun Nun, and I was like, what? <laughs> so this is our first listener suggestion. Uh, thank you to Mandy. No one saw my dance. <laughs> I forgot I'm not on video. And I think this is the best episode I've done yet. Yes! I'm so excited for it. I really am. Um, that being said, it is a woman from Japan. I am not fluent in Japanese. Since and when? Japan is not my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. So I did do a lot of additional research for this episode. I had to practice a lot of Japanese pronunciations. I actually And she will say them all wrong because she's nervous about <laughs> saying them wrong. <laughs> so I would say I mean, I'm familiar enough with anime that 70% of the pronunciations I'm perfectly fine and comfortable with. Hell yeah. But there's... Anime. I'm not in, like, crazy into anime, but I have watched anime in the past. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Sailor Moon? Cardcaptor Sakura. Sailor Moon is... Princess Nine. Not. Pokemon. <laughs> I actually never... <laughs> But, um, but yeah, there were 30% of the words that I was like, I need help. I need so I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. Okay. But yeah. That's all we ask. Right. So Hojo Masako was one of the most powerful Japanese women in Japanese medieval history. Her rise to power was alongside Japan's first shogun, Minamoto no Yoritomo. Hey, who it sounded would... like you knew exactly what you were talking about there. <laughs> He will go on to usurp political power from the Japanese emperor and establish the Kamakura shogunate as the dominating political power in Japan. And this will last all the way through the mid-19th century. I'm kind of excited about this because when you say medieval, my eye, and I'm sure a lot of other people, all we see is what has been portrayed Mm -hmm. through various movies, TV shows, etc. And it's white people. (laughs) Like, it is, yeah. Like, in my mind, I know it's stupid, but in my mind, only white people. It's not racist. It's just me. That's all I picture because that's and all that, I've been. that was, and I'll get into that a little bit. I mean, I, I know was, Genghis Khan existed, but, like, well, it's as, an entirely separate thing in my mind. Like, it's just... Weird. As I was doing my research, yeah. there's not a lot of information. Cool. There's, so I, I'll get into this later, but there is a niche market out there, I think, yeah. to cover this period in history in yeah. this part of the world because it just does not exist right now. Yeah. Now, when her husband dies, Hojo Masako shaves her head in the style that all Japanese widows did at the time, but remains a political force to be reckoned with in her own right, earning her the historical 
moniker of Nun Shogun, or the Shogun Nun as we know her. Hojo Masako will go on to consolidate power for the Kamakura Shogunate long after her husband dies, and establishes the Hojo clan as the most powerful clan in Japan for the next 100 years following her death. Wow. So we're in for a treat. Yes. (laughs) So just a little bit of historical context. There's a piece of white fur on that screen. I don't understand how you don't see it. It's driving me insane. I got it. Oh, no. I also just made your screen go away. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Fix it. Fix it. (laughs) Hold on. Oh, no. Cat. Love me. (laughs) It was driving me crazy. And I was like, how could she not see it? So Hojo Masako was born in 1157. So this is, I think this is right around Empress Matilda's. Yeah, no, it's a little after Empress Matilda. Duh, because okay. historical context, I'm going to get into it. Cut all this. No, no, it's staying. No. Yeah, no, it's, it's going it, to stay. Gonna, no. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, historical context. In 1162, the founder of the Mongol Empire Genghis Khan is born. Hey, I know that name. <laughs> Masako was five years old when he was born. In 1174, William I of Scotland is captured by the English at the Battle of Alnwick and accepts the feudal overlordship of the English over Scotland. From 1180 to 1185, this marks the period known as the Genpai War in Japan. In 1187, Saladin defeats the King of Jerusalem during the Battle of Hatton. In 1189, Richard I, the Lionheart, is crowned King of England. Hey, we know that name. We do know that name. In 1193, the first merchant guild is established. This is in the Italian peninsula. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in 1215, King John signs the Magna Carta. That's not John. That's That's John. That's John John? That's John John. (laughs) That's Eleanor. Did we just refer to a king as John John? (laughs) That's how we're going to refer That's to That's John the lusting after a 12-year-old John, that one? Yes, that one. Our pedo friend. <laughs> yeah, he signs the Magna Carta, which is when the, uh, the nobles were like, hey, we have rights too. So before I can start talking about Hojo Masako, I have to talk a little bit about the political climate of Japan in the early medieval era. Again, I am not familiar with this area of the world during this time period. This episode required quite a bit of additional research for me. So I'm going to do my best. Please bear with me. So Japan during this time period is ruled by the emperor of Japan, often along with a regent known as the Shikin. So just know that when I say Shikin, that title is just like regent. The dude in charge? Second in charge? It's it's the dude actually in charge. Usually a Shikin is appointed if um, the emperor or the shogun, as we're going to find out, is really young. So again, like how Henry VI had his regents yeah. when he was, because he was an infant when he came to the throne. You can't rule the infant? <laughs> no, it's, I wouldn't recommend it. Goo goo gaga. I think that means go that way. <laughs> so the emperor is mostly a figurehead while the true power lay with the Sheikin. The Sheikin is generally appointed from within the ranks of the imperial court and the aristocracy of Japan, all of whom maneuver amongst themselves for power. The aristocracy and the imperial court consists of the leaders of the various clans that all live around Japan. So instead of House Lancaster, we're going to have Clan Hojo. Hmm. Think of it that way. I really appreciate you doing that for me. Yeah. <laughs> Translating to, it into I had what to, I know. <laughs> I had to do it for myself too, just to mm-hmm. like 
familiarize myself with the idea of the political structure. Yeah. So just below the aristocratic noble class, I always choose to use that word and I still struggle with it. I mean, you did well. If you if you didn't call it out, I would have been like, yeah, she's fine. <laughs> so just below that noble class um, that makes up the ranks of the imperial court is the samurai class. By the time our story starts, this class is still relatively young and has only recently come to power within the last 100 years or so from the way I understand it. Hmm. I'm sure most people are at least familiar with the idea of a samurai being a warrior, usually carrying a long, thin sword known as a katana. For our intents and purposes, we need to keep in mind that this was a class of people that were warrior nobles who were also small landowners and trained in multiple martial arts. By this time, the two primary samurai families that have emerged are the Tera and the Minamoto clans. From 1180 to 1185, they struggle to establish dominance between the two of them in the Genpai War. The Tera are established as the most powerful family with an infant Tera emperor currently on the throne, and the Minamoto clan is the challenger. Okay. We will get more into that war because yeah. it plays a huge part in our story. Now, from what I understand, the Genpai War is one of Japan's most famous periods of civil war. Um, we'd probably compare it to the significance that the War of the Roses had in England or our own civil war in the United States. I've never even heard of it. I had neither, <laughs> but in Japan, it's, it's obvious. That's yeah. what it is for them. And yeah. it, it will, by the end of it, establish the new political structure that will rule in Japan for hundreds of years. I wonder if people in other countries are just as bad as our youth and even our older generations about knowing their own history and the significance of certain things. You know what I mean? I think it depends on the country. Because from what I understand in Japan, like they're very familiar with the background of the samurai and how it went on to inform the culture. I know even just leading up to World War II, everything stems back from the beginning of this period. Yeah. Interesting. Now, although the Civil War lasts for approximately five years, the Minamoto clan emerges as the victor when all is said and done. And just as we've already seen before, the struggle for dominance continues long after the rival clan has been eliminated. Once external rivals have been eliminated, people within the Minamoto clan will fight amongst themselves for power. Now, the leader of the Minamoto clan will emerge um, as Minamoto no Yoritomo, and he effectively usurps power from the Japanese aristocracy and the imperial court to form the Kamakura shogunate. Now, the shogunate is a feudal military dictatorship that will rule Japan from 1185 all the way through 1868. Oh, wow. The leader of the shogunate is styled as the shogun and is the de facto ruler of Japan alongside the emperor. But the emperor, again, he exists, but he's mostly in... He's like what the Queen of England is yes. now, just a, a, a figurehead. Yeah, yeah. And there will be <laughs> there will be constant struggles between the Emperor and his Imperial Court and the Shogunate, but the Shogunate is, is always all be all. gonna dominate. Like yeah. they'll try to rebel and with little success, as we're gonna find out. All right. So you basically have the Emperor who rules as the figurehead, like we just said, but the real power behind the government is the Shogun and he's the military dictator of Japan. Um, something, some of the sources I read describe the shogun as a general. Okay, interesting. 
So while doing my general preliminary research, I realized that the political brutality that we learned about during Isabella of France and Edward II's time period, um, along with the brutality of the War of the Roses, along with the brutality of the Armagnacs versus the Burgundians in France, was nothing. Baby stuff? Compared Great. to this time period cool. in Japan. So get ready. There's going to be a lot of death and oh, massacres. No. Oh no. Yeah. There are a lot of assassinations going on and a lot of emperors being forced to resign and sent off to a monastery. So that's another thing that's kind of unique to Japan is you'll have multiple retired emperors that are living... put hard quotation marks around <laughs> retired guys. Well, <laughs> it's around emperors because yeah. they are all they retired to Buddhist monasteries to live a life of contemplation. People might go, fuck this shit. <laughs> Unless they decide to try and come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's multiple former emperors running around. I mean, you know. <laughs> now, Minamoto no Yoritomo is our difficult damsel, Hojo Masako's husband. And from here on out, I will mostly just refer to them as Masako and Yoritomo. Okay. Is there any significance to the way your the, the names are ending, like, in... So the clan name is usually at the front of their name, and then it's their given name. Okay. Glad you asked that. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just recognizing certain So instead of similarities. Richard Plantagenet, it would be Plantagenet Richard. Yeah. They put the clan name first. Okay. All right, so. Good to know. So Masako was born sometime in 1156 as the eldest daughter of Hojo Takimasa, who is the head of the Hojo clan. Now, the Hojo clan was the ruling family in the Izu province, which is near present-day Tokyo, and Masako's father was a very powerful figure at this point. Although the Hojo clan does not quite have the same status as the Taira and the Minamoto clans, they are still very powerful in their region. In time, the Hojo clan will eventually attain the same status as the Taira and the Minamoto clans, in large part because of Takimasa's influence. Again, that's her father. Mm -hmm. When Masako was born, her parents were only in their teens. As her parents were very young when they had her, Masako was primarily raised by ladies-in-waiting and nannies. She ends up being the eldest child of 15. So what you're telling me is, wait, oh, that all just clicked in a horrible way. So what you're telling me is we haven't gotten away from like child brides and them marrying really young and now having kids really young. No, that's always going to be a thing when you're dealing with... That's what marriage was. Did you say... So, what was her status in the in the brood of 15? She's the eldest. Okay, I thought you said the youngest. I was like, I'm sorry, they're in their teens and they have 15 kids? <laughs> <laughs> She's the I eldest. was like, we're done. <laughs> so, as a child, Masako learned how to horseback ride, hunt, and fish. Several sources describe her as a bit of a tomboy. In addition to hunting and horseback riding... She was also instructed how to fight with a naganita and a katana, two classic samurai weapons. Masako also apparently preferred to eat with the men rather than the women of the household. Now, our big takeaway here is that Masako grew up around men and was familiar with them, which may have gone a long way in helping to establish herself as a viable leader in the Kamakura shogunate later on. Yeah. In doing my research, it seemed like Masako's father deliberately made sure his eldest daughter had the education that was typically reserved for the boys. Yeah. This was very much not a norm of the time. It seemed like he saw something in her, and that's why he made sure to include her. Heck yeah. Her father, her father proactively 
yeah. et cetera. That's, that. that's the impression I got. Gotcha. When Masako was born, she was born during a time period in Japan that saw constant war and rebellion. In Kyoto, the capital of Japan, there was a struggle over the imperial succession. This is known as the Hojin Rebellion. This is over who will be named as the next emperor of Japan. Now, again, emperors aren't determined based on succession, like dynastic succession. It's yeah. just because you're, you're the son of an emperor doesn't mean you're guaranteed to succeed him. So you got to work for it. You got to have the right people behind you. Gotcha. It's not even about you. Yeah, network. It's not even, <laughs> you don't even factor into it. It's it's about the the clan that is in power. They end up choosing the emperor. Okay. It's very interesting. Huh. It's very it's very different from what we're used to, yeah. what we've been talking about. Yeah. Now, although her parents don't take part in the specific rebellion, war was a constant going on in the background this whole time. For everyone everywhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, we still have that now. It's just more of, you know, political powers and who can mm-hmm. sweet talk their way into something because outright war and outright killing is slightly more frowned upon still not entirely frowned upon <laughs> um this type of outright killing is more frowned upon yeah <laughs> so when masako was a child a young exiled teenager of the famed minamoto clan named minamoto no yoritomo is taken in by the hojo clan so her the family takes him in every time you say these names is great <laughs> So Yoritomo, again, as we mentioned, he goes on to become the first shogun of Japan. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of time to give you some of his background because okay. in in Japan's history, he's one of the most historically famous figures. Oh, because okay. again, he is the first shogun of Japan. Gotcha. Cool. Yoritomo was the third son of Minamoto no Yoshitomo. As mentioned, the Minamoto clan was one of the most powerful clans up to this point. By the time that Yoritomo seeks refuge with the Hojo clan, it is after a series of failed attempted coups in the capital of Kyoto. The Minamoto clan had been rivals to the Teira clan, both putting forth different claimants for emperor. During the Heiji Rebellion, Yoritomo's father, Yoshitomo, and his allies kidnapped the former emperor and the current emperor. It's a long story. (laughs) I'm not going to go into it. Fuck you! They actually set fire to the palace in Kyoto. My God, you can't just do that. (laughs) They did. Oh my God. (laughs) While having them in captivity, the Minamoto clan was not fully prepared for the onslaught that followed by the rival clans that were led by the Tera. They end up losing the former emperor and the current emperor that had been in their care to their rival faction. The Tera clan then emerges victorious victorious after the Heiji Rebellion, and Yoritomo's father was forced to flee Kyoto. His father ends up being betrayed and killed by one of his own retainers, and Yoritomo is forced to flee. He also, at this point, I believe he has two half-brothers, and they all kind of get scattered to the winds. Oh, and how old are they? I don't know how how old the brothers are, but Yoritomo is 13. Oh, that's a a rough childhood. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently he was very, like, bold and rebellious and rebunctious. Because from what I was reading, like, even as he was exiled, he was causing trouble. Because he was like, I'm going to avenge my father and (laughs) come back and take over. So Yoritomo, as mentioned, is 13 when he's exiled. And Masako's father, 
Tokimasa becomes Yoritomo's guardian. I just love how every time I ask you a question, you literally answer it the next sentence. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it means your, <laughs> it, it's your intuition kicking in. Oh. So we can assume that this meant Masako pretty much grew up with him while he was exiled with her family. There's approximately 10 years between them. Oh, like age gap? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I don't know why that was like a question mark for me, but it had to had to be asked. <laughs> that was my own math because I was trying to find like dates on when he actually showed up and I couldn't yeah. find any. But I know he was 13 when he was exiled. Yeah. So when Masako is 21 years old, she and Yoritomo marry against her father's wishes. Uh-oh. So the reason Masako's father did not want her to marry Yoritomo is because he knew it would upset the Daira clan. Because again, Yoritomo was a member of the rival clan. Yeah. Masako's father was apparently worried it might bring the wrath of the Taira clan down upon them. Mm -hmm. He attempted to marry Masako off to someone else, but she ends up running off with Yoritomo to escape the arranged marriage. Wow. And again, she's 21 when they elope. Now, her father does eventually accept the marriage after she gives birth to her first child, a daughter named Ohime. I mean, at that point, it's it's a sealed deal. You can't, uh, (laughs) You can't hide that anymore. Pretty much. So how old was, sorry, how old was he? She was 21. He was 31. Okay, so he is older. Okay, I yeah. don't know why. Just, 10 years, yeah. yeah. So okay. I, yeah, it, it's about 10 years. Gotcha. There's been a lot of speculation about the marriage of Masako and Yoritomo. Some sources claimed that she was genuinely in love with him, but I did come across a few different sources online that suggested he was a bit of a philanderer right from the start of their marriage. What man isn't at this time? Can <laughs> One of the sources I read suggested that Yoritomo was having an affair with a woman named Kami Nome while Masako was pregnant and even moved her to live closer to him so that he could visit her. Masako responded by sending a small army to Kame Nome's residence to destroy her home. And although Kami Nome was able to escape, she was forced to flee with her life in order to escape Masako's wrath. I'm not condoning said violence, but fuck yeah. <laughs> so... Apparently, polygamy was incredibly common amongst the male aristocrats of this time, so Yoritomo was not necessarily doing anything out of the ordinary, but Masako's jealousy was so unique and unusual and indeed dangerous that Yoritomo was apparently scared of her and did his best to hide his mistress. His tail is now between his legs. (laughs) She's got fire coming out of her freaking ears. He apparently had a couple of bastard children with his mistresses as well. There are a couple of different stories about these children. One of his mistresses was told that if she had a girl, she would be able to keep the child. But Mm -hmm. if it was a boy, Yoritomo would be forced to kill the child to avoid future conflicts with his heirs. But from what you said, that doesn't matter because they're not... Okay. They can. Okay. They can try to come back and claim legitimacy. Well, I'm, it I, doesn't know, I know here. like the legitimacy is a thing, but like I, from what you said that it doesn't matter, like the, it, what she's who your line first, is. She's his first wife and her clan is the most powerful clan. So they're okay. not going to take any risks. Gotcha. Okay. It's still a risk. It's just. Yeah. Okay. So another one of his sons was apparently forced to join the priesthood. And again, I read conflicting stories on how Masako lead these children It's clear that any male sons would pose a very real threat to her sons, but some of the stories say she actually begs Yoritomo not to kill the sons, and others say that Yoritomo was so terrified of what what Masako would do that he made sure the children were hidden away. 
The reality was probably somewhere in the middle, given what we learn about her later down the road. I wouldn't put it past her, yeah. to be perfectly honest. <laughs> what we do, She sounds pretty ruthless already. So. What we do know for sure is that Masako gains a reputation for being this ruthless and temperamental villainess. Yes. Just like all our other difficult damsels. That's why we like them. <laughs> so Masako and Yoritomo were only married a couple of years before Yoritomo would be pulled back into an imperial succession dispute back in Kyoto that will come to be known as the Genpai War. One of the things I want to mention, again, is that the succession of the Japanese emperors is not secured by dynastic succession. It's the clans who determine who the emperor will be. And if the emperor displeases them, they'll just be like, you're not emperor anymore. And suddenly you're out. <laughs> yeah. It's You've time, been voted off the it's island. It's time for you to become a contemplative monk. <laughs> so that's why you'll have a sitting emperor, but you'll also have often several cloistered emperors that have been ousted. Cloistered emperors. That's a good band name. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's called. They're in that cloistered lifestyle. In 1180, the throne is abdicated by Emperor Takakura. Now, I, they said abdicated online. I'm sure he was forced out. Yeah. <laughs> the new emperor is two-year-old Antoku, the grandson of Taira no Kiyomori. Now, Kiyomori is the head of the Taira clan at this point. And as I've already mentioned, the Taira are currently in control of the imperial government. That being said, there is a rival claimant to the imperial throne by the name of Prince Mochihito. He is the son of Emperor Go Shirakara, one of the those previously ousted emperors that I mentioned. And he's currently retired at a monastery following his forced retirement. <laughs> retired. <laughs> now, Mochihito reaches out to Minamoto no Yorimasa, this is the current leader of the Miyamoto clan. That is a very clan. aggressive name. Yorimasa? No, the whole thing. I, it's all aggressive. <laughs> so he sends out a call to arms to the rest of the Minamoto clan because he knows if he gets their support, he can take it back. Or he can take it for himself. To make a long story short, he doesn't. This is the first battle during the Genpai War, and it ends with Mochihito's capture and subsequent execution. Minamoto no Yorimasa ends up taking his own life in what some historians consider to be the very first recorded ritualistic suicide called seppuku. This is when the samurai falls upon his own sword and disembowels himself. Oh, so he was the first. How do you... I, How? <laughs> it's, it's all about honor for them. I know, but that takes so much discipline to freaking disembowel yourself. Well, they're very disciplined. That's oh. what they are known for. Yes, I'm aware. But no, it's still it's just... <laughs> Really hard to think about that. Like, oh, Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm not begrudging. It's a weird tradition. I'm not begrudging. It's just, I can't imagine. You're not used to it. No, not at all. And you couldn't do it yourself. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Now, once Yorimasa dies, Minamoto no Yoritomo officially takes over as the de facto leader of the Minamoto clan. And it's at this point that he leaves the Hojo clan's lands in Izu and heads off to fight the Tera. Over the next couple of years, the Minamoto clan would suffer a number of defeats by the Data, but they are steadily gaining more support over time. And as all of this fighting is going on, there is also a huge famine occurring in Japan. All of the rice crops are effectively wiped out, which is Japan's primary food source. It's like the potato famine. And to make... Or, China, or Japanese, sorry. For Japan, yeah. 
To make matters worse, there's also evidence of a plague raging across Japan as well. Oh, no. So you basically have famine, plague, and civil war ravaging Japan. And as we've already seen before during previous periods of strife that have also involved plague and famine, you'll actually find journal entries from this period of time from people who believe they were suffering their hardships because they disappointed the great Buddha. I was going to say, what god did you piss off? Buddha. Yeah, hang on. Oh, I got there. <laughs> but that was going through my head when you were saying this all. <laughs> well, I mean, this is what this is what people do. This is yeah. we saw this during the Hundred Years' War. People can't fathom that these natural disasters just, just happen. happen. There's no reason. It's Jinx. You owe me a cup? No, you owe me beer. It's better. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> so yeah, same thing. And instead of God, it's Buddha this yeah. time. That's something we all have in common. Yeah, weird how we all let's stop fighting us. each other and just realize we're all kind Rachel, of the same. That's too easy. You mm, need to calm down. I will never calm down. I know. I will I like fight you. everyone. No. But like behind I'll, me, I'll use <laughs> <laughs> <be> my avatar. <laughs> so as Yoritomo is working to gain support, he has a cousin by the name of Minomoto no Yoshinaka, that is a rival within his own clan. This is his cousin. I said that. Yeah. You said that, but I didn't get it until okay. the second time you said it, so it's perfect. <laughs> so yeah, Yoshinaka is Yoritomo's cousin. Okay. As the tide of the war begins to turn in the favor of the Minamoto clan, Yoshinaka makes it to Kyoto and finally defeats the Teda clan and forces them out of the city, along with the infant emperor on the throne. It's at this point that Emperor Gotoba is installed on the imperial throne. Installed is a good word. <laughs> I mean, it's literally... Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> I think they actually physically placed him. Yeah, they picked him up like a child. <laughs> We're like, boom. <laughs> this is your home. You're here. <laughs> so there's more infighting at this point. Yoritomo's two half-brothers had initially supported his cousin, but they end up turning on their cousin and execute Yoshinaka. Whoa. At this point, the Minamoto clan officially names Yoritomo and Masako's family as the de facto rulers of Japan. Well, yeah, you can do that when you just killed someone. <laughs> it, it killed a lot of people. Oh, gosh. By 1185, all members of the Taira clan are defeated indefinitely at the Battle of Dan no Ura. This is a very unique battle for the time because it's actually a naval battle. Interesting. Yeah. Now, whatever Taira clan members were left after the battle, they were subsequently rooted out and either executed or drowned. This also included the former infant emperor Antoku. I believe he's actually like seven or eight at this point. Okay. But they kill everyone. Good lord. The entire clan. Good lord. Or who they can get their hands on. <gasps> this marks the official end of the Genpai War. So basically... Everyone gets killed at this point. You're not just killing Richard Plantagenet. You're killing his sons, Edward, George, and Richard. He's not going to be Richard III anymore. You're killing his daughters. You're killing his nieces. You're Everyone. killing his nephews. Everyone. Everyone dies. It's like um, Mulan, Mushu, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow, dishonor on your ancestors. Dishonor and death everywhere. <laughs> That's what I thought. Like that's the what, the main thing that popped in my head was Mushu. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. <laughs> now the whole time during the Genpai War, Masako is said to have rode alongside with her husband. Although she herself did not fight in any of the battles, she was still physically present. 
and apparently they were never defeated in battle while she rode on campaign with him. Ooh, she's like his lucky charm. Mm -hmm. I think also, that's very it. dangerous to like as a woman to ride into battle or not into battle, but ride alongside because if your people lose, you need to start running. <laughs> So our next episode is going to be about one of those famous Japanese female samurais Ooh, that actually fought. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> More importantly, her family had also fought alongside Yoritomo and supported his campaign. During the war, Masako had given birth to their first son, Minamoto no Yorie, who will become the heir to the Hojo clan. Now, because the Hojo clan was so instrumental in helping Yoritomo gain his power, his allegiance is more to them than his own family. Uh -oh. I would imagine that being raised in exile by the, by the Hojo clan might have also had an influence on that. And um, the problem is, Masako supposedly did not like her brother-in-laws. These are the half-brothers of Yoritomo that turned yeah. against their cousin. Yeah, because they're super trustworthy already. <laughs> So in the end, Yoritomo's two half-brothers are executed. Oh, shit. Okay. Now, whether or not this was on Masako's explicit suggestion or just another result of the internal power struggles that are all too common during this era, I can't say for sure. I wasn't able to find... Yeah. Any, like, hard evidence? Yeah. But either way, they're dead now. Yeah. It's very coincidental <laughs> that the guys that she had definite hatred towards are suddenly not a problem yeah. anymore. Yoritomo has eliminated all of his rivals. In 1192, he is officially named as the first shogun by the cloistered emperor Go Shirakara. Shirakara. Of the band, the cloistered Shirakara. emperors. <laughs> <laughs> this was Prince um, Mochihito's father. Yoritomo has officially become the most powerful man in Japan and effectively elevates the warrior samurai caste as the supreme ruling class of Japan. Cast. Cast. <laughs> <laughs> Thus marks the start of the first shogunate that will rule in Japan until the mid-19th century. Wow. Mm -hmm. That same year, Masako gives birth to her second son, Minamoto no Sanitomo. While Yoritomo was the most powerful man in Japan, Masako becomes the most powerful woman. Masako's official title is, I'm going to try to say this, <laughs> Mira de Koro. This means either shogun or minister's wife. And they rule for seven years, and their rule is absolute. Hell yeah. No one comes up against them. It's not successful. Yeah, because you're going to die if you come up against them. <laughs> Minamoto no Yoritomo ends up dying in 1199. Despite the crazy life he led, it appears that he died from injuries suffered after falling or falling off his horse. Oh, that's such a bummer. I like, know. It's such a like sad and anti You had like such like a, you know, you, you survived all this stuff and then your horse got you. Yep. So following her husband's death, Masako cuts off her hair herself and she becomes a Buddhist nun, as was tradition for the widowed women of powerful men in Japan. Normally, this would mean that nuns retire from political life, but this is where Masako differs from the other women in Japanese history. She does not join a nunnery and instead remains a powerful figure in the Japanese shogunate going forward, hence officially assuming the title, history now remembers her by, the shogun nun. She's like, nah, I ain't joining that damn nunnery. <laughs> I'm having too much fun up top here. <laughs> well, a lot of it, and we're going to get into it, she felt like she couldn't because the next person who becomes Shogun is her son. Yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit 
about their children now. So okay. they they have two girls and two boys. Um, nice one of them, them, yeah, one of them was their daughter named Ohime. She she at one point was married to a man by the name of Yoshikata. He was the son of Minamoto no Yoshinaka. That was Yoritomo's cousin. The one that the half-brothers killed? Yeah. Okay. On there. <laughs> so marriage alliance. Um, they were married when Ohime was six and Yoshitaka was 11. <laughs> Although he is pretty much a hostage for Yoritomo and Masako, Ohime ends up developing a genuine affection towards him. Their marriage is short-lived, however, um, and when he dies, Masako tries to marry off Ohime to someone else, but she apparently displayed some of her mother's willfulness and refused to marry. <laughs> but sadly, she ends up dying at the age of 20. Aww. Yeah. I also really like that name. Ohime? Not to breeze over her death like that, but Ohime is a really pretty it's name. It's very pretty. I like it. Yeah. So now we have their two sons. The first one is Yorie. He's the heir. Yorie is the rebellious and headstrong son. He ends up causing a lot of trouble for the family. And on top of that, he was apparently much closer to his wife's family as opposed to his mother's. And this is in large part because he was actually fathered, fathered, fostered <laughs> with his wife's family. So he actually grew up with them. Oh, so it's like, it's like a, like his dad. Kind of. Hey. Yeah. You guys should know better off. <laughs> Um, we'll get into why that ends up becoming a problem very soon. I don't know. Because it's going to be exactly what happened with the well, they're two gonna try. of them. They're going to try. Like, did you did you guys not learn it? It, it? it ended well for you. Well, they didn't have much choice because he's born during the Genpai War. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You can't take your You can't take your child. infant kids into battle? <laughs> no. You can't. Their um. other son is Sanitomo. He seems to be the exact opposite of his brother. While Yorie is the loud and outspoken son, Sanitomo is the quiet son. I like to think of him as the shy little emo brother because he was apparently very into poetry. Um, and he was very good at it. He wrote approximately 700 poems between the ages of 17 and 22. Wow. I was going to yep. say it sounds like a Henry and Arthur, but... Reversed. Well, Yeah. Well, I was going to say it before you said he was into poetry. I was like, but Henry was into poetry, but he was also the loud outspoken. Yeah. Aggressive one. There, there's a reason for that, which <clears throat> we'll get into a little later in the episode. Okay. So Masako's eldest son, Yorie, ends up succeeding his father, Shogun, but he is only 18. Because of his youth, Hojo Takimasa proclaims himself as Yorie's shikin. That's Masako's father. Mm -hmm. So Yorie is his grandson. Yeah. He becomes the shikin. Masako still had a strong position within the shogunate as she was Yorie's mother and even helps to create the council that will surround Yorie because he is so young. The council consists of herself, her brother, her father, and then I believe it ends up being a total of 13 council members. No, it's like, and then like one other guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's just one problem with all of this. 18-year-old boys are notoriously shifty. What?! And Yorie is especially shifty. Oh no. <laughs> so to make matters worse, Yorie is not particularly happy with his mother's family. And as we mentioned, so Masako gave birth to Yorie during the Genpai War. And from what I understand, she gave birth to him at Hiki Yoshikazu's residence. This will become his father-in-law. Okay. And it's Clan Hiki. 
And from there, it seems like he was raised by the Hiki clan during his formative years as his parents were off warring. The problem with Yorie was that he seemed keen on abandoning the policies his late father had set up for the shogunate, which proved to be a major concern for Masako. Not to mention, he was just brash and hot-headed. At one point, he steals away with the mistress of one of his council members, and when that council member had the nerve to be upset that Yorie stole his mistress, <laughs> Yorie ends up forming an army to go against him. Oh my god, what is this weird soap opera? <laughs> yeah. Like That's you have right. Spanish soap operas? What are they te- like? Uh, what are telenovelas? Yeah, telenovelas. Mm-hmm. And then you got Japanese soap operas where everyone dies. Apparently. That's why I'm like, I need somebody to do a podcast <laughs> on this time period because it is so juicy. It's amazing. <laughs> so this is where you get one of Masako's most famous stories. She ends up showing up outside the advisor's house to help defuse the situation, but she ends up sending a messenger to her son and this is what the message read oh i'm so excited for this if you intend to kill kagimori you must shoot your arrow through me first oh damn girl and in the end masako is able to negotiate a peace between he's like two. yeah my mom is actually terrifying so yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna go i'm not gonna do that because she'll <laughs> probably live through it and then kill me <laughs> yeah. on top of that he apparently killed people left and right whenever they displeased him cool it's henry <laughs> It's Henry, but it's not, because Henry, uh, he was just good at isolating people. Yeah. And, and but this kid's just dumb. Going crazy. <laughs> just a brash idiot. <laughs> so Masako and Yoritomo's rule had proven to be secure in the seven years that Yoritomo was shogun. Masako was not about to let her son mess that up, shogun or not. So she forbade him from actively engaging in political activity himself. Mm-hmm. This is why her father was named as Yorie's regent. Yorie may have been the shogun, but her father had the actual power. So as you can imagine, this is the part where Yorie begins to plot with his father-in-law to overtake the Hojo clan and regain his power. Because how dare you, stomps foot. <laughs> Unfortunately for Yorie, he chooses the wrong side. Oh no! You don't go against your scary mom! <laughs> no, her, your scary mom or her scary family. Right? So Masako apparently overheard her son plotting with Yoshikazu and ends up turning him into her father. Part of the plot to overtake the Hojo clan also involved killing Yorie's younger brother, Sanitomo. Wow! And I think that's why Masako turned him in. Uh, Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) There's more to it. Um, It's suspected that Masako's father had planned to supplant yorie with sani tomo because um, sani tomo was more pliable yeah he's younger too yeah he's like 13. but still you don't kill your brother no jesus um after this point takimosa that's masako's father has yorie's father-in-law executed in 1203 masako has her son forcibly removed as shogun at this point and forces him to join the priesthood he's just proven to be irrevocably troublesome and shortly thereafter, he is assassinated, presumably on the orders of Tokimasa. Oh, that's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Yorie's reign as shogun was little over a year long, and he dies in 1204. He was 21 years old when he died. Good lord! <laughs> oh my gosh, what is in the water? We're not done. It's dysentery. <laughs> it's not dysentery this time. No, it's just it's, it's just... just death and mayhem. Oh my gosh! I do do we not? Did you say how he died or just he died? 
Um, it just said he was assassinated. Oh, I mean, he's probably stabbed through the heart or something. That's, that's Most of the time, they're stabbed or beheaded. Good God! To find out. <laughs> I just I love like now that we're doing this podcast and listening to all this this craziness that happens around like surrounding you know the royal courts and stuff. Like, who wants to be there? Like, who? Right? Who in their right mind I'm, is like, let me go into this? I'm happy to be a peasant. Yeah, I will go hang out with farming. the horses out back. Thanks. Yeah, I will be the stableman's daughter. Horses That's are going to bite me or kick me at most. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the Hiki clan is subsequently killed, including Yorie's eldest son and Masako's grandson. That sucks. Following the death of Yorie, Masako's younger son, Minamoto no Sanitomo, becomes the third shogun of Japan. Sanitomo is only 11 years old at this point, so naturally, Okimasa also becomes his shikin. This is where everything starts to get more complicated. As I've already mentioned, when there isn't an external foe to focus on, clans in this time period start to turn on each other. Sanitomo may be shogun, but he is basically a political pawn in the power struggle that begins to emerge between Masako and her father. Uh-oh. Now, Masako's father is pretty much the most powerful man in Japan at this point. He is weary of losing power, and while Tokimasa and Masako seem to have had a very successful working relationship together as father and daughter in the beginning, this is right around the time that you start to see strife building between the two of them. I think part of it has to do with the fact that Masako suspects her father had Yorie executed. Troublesome though he may have been, he was still her son. Yeah, you don't just you don't just execute your own family. Yeah, <laughs> kinslaying is frowned upon. Yeah, there's just certain lines you shouldn't cross because once you cross those lines, like nothing's off limits. So, as I was doing my research, um. Tokimasa kind of reminds me of Tywin Lannister. Yeah, I was getting a hard Lannister vibe. Yeah, because Yorie is very much like Joffrey. Like, they can't control him. Yeah. And it's like, we can't control... Now I have Joffrey stuck in my head every time you say him, and it's upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we can't control him, but if we get rid of him, the younger brother is far more amiable and we can probably work with it yeah but that's still a human and that's still your kid slash grandson god yeah yeah and i don't and masako just does not seem to be happy apparently her mother also dies right around this point um i couldn't find a source that said exactly how she died but it is interesting timing yeah while sanitomo is shogun and tokimasa is acting as the shikin Tokimasa grows more and more paranoid of the people around him. At one point, he accuses his youngest daughter's husband of treason and orders two of his sons to execute his son-in-law. Masako's brothers refuse their father, but Tokimasa has him executed anyway. That's when you start going like, maybe you should go to the band over here of exile. You're not an emperor, but you can join them <laughs> because you're getting very aggressive. And when you, again, when you start killing your own family members... It's funny you should say that. Oh, really? <laughs> like, did you read my notes? Pray tell, Rachel. Tell me why. <laughs> so at this point, Tokimasa has alienated Masako, two of his sons, and his youngest daughter. None of their counsel is reaching him. He's not listening to anyone, and he sees traitors all around him, which makes her a volatile cocktail of paranoia and tyranny. 
The final straw is drawn when Masako learns that her father is intending to have Sanitomo assassinated. She's having none of that. No! (laughs) My gosh. So the interesting thing about Sanitomo is he seemed to be aware of his kind of empty position as the Shogun of Japan. I would say at 11? I'm just kidding. He's older now. (laughs) He's a little older, but he also saw what happened to his brother. Yeah. And he did not want that to happen to him. So he's kind of like hands off. Y'all do what you want to do. Y'all do your bullshit over there. I'm just going to sit here and look pretty because that's what you want me to do. (laughs) Call me the Shogun. I'm going to go write my poetry. (laughs) Fine. I'm going to be in the corner over here with my My little calligraphy (laughs) pens. Yeah. He seemed to be pretty self-aware in that regard. So he's he's not really trying to take power. As his grandfather became increasingly paranoid, Sanitomo grew more and more fearful for his life. Not wanting to suffer the same fate as his older brother had, Sanitomo seemed resolved to just be his mother's puppet. And this is, again, when we see him start to create more poetry. I mean, you've got enough raw material to friggin' work with and raw emotion to work with. (laughs) When Masako learned of her father's plot, she immediately placed her son under guard and together with her brother, Yoshitoki, Masako told her father that if father that if he did not step down as Shikin immediately, the two of them would rebel against him. Damn. Masako's father apparently had enough sense to understand the threat was real, and he finally abdicates his position as Shikin, shaves all his hair off, and retires to a Buddhist monastery. Takimosa does not enter the political realm at all after this point and lives the remainder of his days in quiet solitude as a Buddhist monk. <laughs> He was smart enough to be like, yeah, yeah you're probably right. I'm going to go just. He was scared enough of his daughter to be like, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> you're right. I'm just going to, you know, a life of contemplation seems nice sounds right about great. now. It sounds great right now to me too as well. I think as he, um, he lives to be like in his late 70s. So, oh, yeah, so he, he made the right call. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rest of your family dies at 20. <laughs> right. Masako's brother, Yoshitoki, ends up becoming the new Shikin for Sanitomo. And once her brother assumes power as the Shikin, Masako is finally able to step into her power and assume more influence within the court. Together, Masako and her brother, Yoshitoki, become quite the ruthless and domineering pair. They will spend the next decade and a half targeting each and every warrior house in Japan that might pose a threat to them and eliminates them one by one. I just see them as the, the Chinese dragon. Like, that's what I visualize right now. It's kind of great. The Chinese dragon? It's like very angry looking. Like Mushu, but very angry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see them as just being this like stoic and kind of like ruthless but quiet duo. Of, like, just nobody's going to try to come up against them. Now, in true Machiavellian nature, There are times they would incite the rivalries that existed between clans and encourage them to rebel against one another, thus eliminating themselves from the game without having to lift a finger. Well, yeah, you do the work. You make them do the work for you. You're like, hey, this guy. Yeah. It's like people who want a a bar fight but don't actually want to get involved in bar fights, so they throw the first bottle, but then, you know, (laughs) sit in the back and just watch. They they just seem very good at, like, whispering in people's ears and being like, yeah, yeah. That clan wants. They're playing a chess game with people's lives. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. For the next 13 years, Masako's son remains the shogun, albeit mostly in an empty figurehead position, while she and her brother rule through him. 
The Kamakura Shogunate continues to gain unprecedented power at this point and truly begins to surpass the power that the emperor once held within the imperial court. Unfortunately for Sanitomo, his story has a rather tragic ending as well. You'll remember that Yorie's eldest son was also assassinated right around the time Yorie was assassinated. Well, he still has one living son. In 1219, what I can only imagine must have been a truly cinematic scene in the making, Sanitomo was assassinated outside of a shrine in the region of Kamakura amidst a snowstorm by his nephew, Kujo. Wow. Brief little aside here about Kujo. He is six years old when his father is assassinated. I really thought you were going to say six years old when he killed him. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> no. Good Lord. Kujo then became the adoptive son of Sanitomo upon Masako's insistence. Soon thereafter, Kujo was given to a Buddhist monastery where he trained as a Buddhist priest. And this is at the same shrine that he kills Sanitomo. Oh, no. But the entire time, he apparently harbored resentment against his uncle, blaming him for the death of his father. Yeah, there was some serious festering happening there. And when he killed Sanitomo, he is said to have yelled something along the lines of, I strike my father's enemy before beheading his uncle. Wow, but your uncle was not involved. He was just the figure. No that. I know, but Jesus. <laughs> That's upsetting. I like his, him. His vengeance is short-lived because a few hours later, Kujo was caught and beheaded himself for having assassinated the Shogun. And with Sanato- Yeah, the freaking scary Shogun nun is like, fuck you. <laughs> no, it's somebody else. Oh, well, I mean, just... <laughs> Probably on her orders. It's the it's the family that had been harboring him that ends up killing him because they were afraid of Masako. Yes, so she was still. Yeah. <laughs> They're still like, she coming for us, we feel it. <laughs> so with Sanitomo now dead, the Minamoto line of shoguns officially comes to an end. Wow. Given the fact that both of Masako's sons have been assassinated and are gone, one might think that this would be the end of her power in Japan. She has no other sons to ascend to the title of shogun. This means it's finally time for her to retire to a Buddhist monastery once and for all. Yeah. Okay. Right? Sure. Right? Yeah. Why not? Right? No. No? Not even no, a little. So. No! no. <laughs> Have we been listening to the same story? <laughs> you are right. You're Thanks. correct. Good. The, uh, the power at this point was never in the Shogun. The power was in the Regency that supported the Shogun. Both Masako and her brother, Yoshitoki, are still alive. And they aren't going anywhere. No. They're a force to be reckoned with. So Masako and Yoshitoki end up putting forth Kujo, different one, <laughs> Yoritsune. As Don't you the, dare start this. <laughs> as the next shogun. It's spelled different. Stop it. I, I'm just, I'm just the messenger. <laughs> <laughs> so Yoritsune was a member of another powerful clan in Japan known as the Fujiwara clan. But perhaps more importantly to Masako, he is loosely related to her late husband, Yoritomo, through his grandmother. And later on, Yoritsune will end up marrying Yorie's daughter and Masako's granddaughter, Take Nogosho. Because of this relation to Masako's husband, Yoritsune becomes the new figurehead for the Hojo clan. All family ties aside, Yoritsune is approximately six years old when he is named Shogun. So this is less about how they are all related, more about the fact that Yoritsune is yet another child Shogun. And it's at this point that Masako herself becomes the unofficial 
shogun of Japan as Yoritsune's overseer. She will maintain this position until her death. Oh, wow. She also at one point received the rank of, I'm not sure how to say this, Jusami in the Imperial Court. It's the junior third rank. It was apparently a very big deal at the time Mm -hmm. because of the fact that it was given to a woman. Oh, there you go. So as the Kamakura shogunate continued to gain more and more power, the power behind the emperor continues to stagnate and deplete. Over time, Emperor Gotoba orchestrates a rebellion against the shogunate. He was essentially seeking independence from the shogunate and trying to take back some of the authority that has been assumed by the shogunate, which he believed was rightfully his on account of being, you know, the emperor. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) You are just a chess piece. This rebellion is known as the Jokyu War. Emperor Gotoba tries to solicit the support of the remaining members of the Dera clan, our old enemy, and other enemies of the Minamoto and Hojo clans. Um, And Kyoto does eventually fall at one point to Emperor Gotoba's, Gotoba's forces. And when this happens, the shogunate actually starts to freak out. Uh oh. For her part, Masako is said to have rallied the shogunate. At one point, Masako summoned the entire shogunate to Kamakura, and her words were recorded in the Azuma Kagami, which was the official chronicle of the Kamakura shogunate at the time. According to the chronicle, this is what she said. Listen carefully to my final words. Since the days when Yoritomo, the late captain of the right, put down the court's enemies and founded the Kanto regime, the obligations you have incurred for offices, ranks, emoluments, and stipends have in their sum become higher than mountains and deeper than the sea. You must, I am sure, be eager to repay them. Because of the slander of traitors, an unrighteous imperial order has now been issued. Those of you who value your reputations will wish to kill Hideyasu, Taniyoshi, and the others at once in order to secure the patrimony of the three generations of shoguns. If any of you wish to join the ex-emperor, speak out now. Holy shit, she, her son, got her his poetry from her for sure. <laughs> if any members of the shogunate deflected, history did not record it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and indeed, she rallies them and they, um, I guess, get their mojo back. <laughs> Masako's brother ends up leading the shogunate forces against the imperial forces in Kyoto, assisted by his eldest son, Yasutoki, and together their forces are able to take Kyoto. Emperor Gotoba is exiled definitively to the Oki Islands. His sons, also retired emperors, are also banished to various provinces around Japan. With the Kamakura shogunate back in power, they shift some more pieces around on the board and install a new emperor yet again that was more to their own liking. (laughs) Do what you're told. (laughs) Now that it's back to business as usual, Masako is able to carry on much as she had been before she was oh so rudely interrupted by the now exiled Emperor Gotoba. This bitch. (laughs) Masako seems to have remained politically active right up until her death, never once slowing down. In the final years of her life, she continued to consolidate power under the advisory council for the shogunate. She was responsible for hearing petitions, administering judgments, and administering post-war rewards to the allies that remain loyal to the shogunate. Masako also served as a mediator, deftly managing the the relationships with the imperial court and the various aristocratic families. 
people were terrified of her. <laughs> you want me to do it? Great. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hojo Masako died in 1225 at the age of 69. Her remains have been lost to history, but a tomb is dedicated to her at the temple in Jufukuji. I hope I said that right. <laughs> and you can apparently visit it and leave her flowers. Interesting. Her tomb is cool because it's like in a little um, like cave carved oh. into the hill. That's awesome. Yeah. Rachel, I want a tomb. A cave. You want a hobbit a tomb? Cave? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right after you give me a Viking funeral. <laughs> so you want me to give you a Viking funeral, yes. hunt your ashes down, and then put them in a hobbit My tomb? My ashes don't need to be in the hobbit tomb. Just okay. You just want me, tomb. I just want a tomb. Like, okay. remember me. You don't ask. My ashes are going to the you sea. You don't ask for that much. That's fine. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not asking you <laughs> to move a goddamn mountain for me. I'm just asking you to put a hole in one. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Okay, thanks. Okay. You're great. <laughs> Hojo Masako leaves behind one hell of a legacy. She is one of a very small number of women in the medieval era that was able to exercise power almost entirely on her own. She was the wife of the first shogun of the Kamakura shogunate and would go on to influence three more shoguns in her lifetime, ultimately acting as a shogun herself. Thanks to Masako's efforts, the shogunate would go on to dominate in Japan all the way through the mid-19th century. Masako was also directly responsible in establishing the Hojo clan as a dominant force in the shogunate. The Hojo clan would go on to rule the Kamakura shogunate for the next 100 years until their eventual downfall in 1333. All right, so just my, uh, my final thoughts on the whole thing. Again, Hojo Masako is our first listener suggestion, and I would like to thank my friend Mandy for suggesting her to me. Thanks, Mandy. <laughs> Thanks, Mandy. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Masako before doing my research for this episode. I hadn't even heard of her, and it was a challenge because I know next to nothing about Japan during the medieval era. But I definitely found it to be very fascinating, and I hope I did it some justice. I, I think you did, but I don't know anything about it either. But that's, that's the whole reason for this podcast is yeah. we want to draw attention. We to... want to learn and we want to hopefully shed some light on these these women that we are not as familiar with. Because yeah. the more we look into it, the more we're finding. Yeah. Male counterpart. If you, if you look up Yoritomo, there's almost no mention of her in anything. Of course not. It's just like, oh yeah, his wife was there. Yeah. And then there's like, oh, his, his wife. wife did a little more than Hold just the there. phone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's really not a lot of info on Masako. I found only one podcast episode about her and it was like a 15 minute episode. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it? This is going to be like the first. Oh no. Hell yeah. In depth podcast episode about her. Look at us go. Sorry. Um, and honestly. Again, that's why we started this podcast. I, I really hope this podcast encourages more people to look into her, but also, just in doing my research on this time period in Japan, I found one podcast. That was it. So if there, yeah. I know there are people I went to school with in college that studied the Japanese culture. There is a niche out there for you in Get podcasting. On it. Yeah. yeah. If, if you are at all interested, I know I for sure would listen to that podcast. Oh, yeah. So do it. Yeah. But do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Question number one. Was Masako more damsel or more difficult? Okay, I don't think anyone needs help answering this question. She was, she, her father set her on the path of being difficult, probably because she proved to be difficult at a very young age. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's like no... There's no damsel in her at all. No damsel whatsoever. She does not wear dresses. She wears pants. <laughs> what I wrote down was um, this This could have just been because of the limited sources, but I didn't detect even the hint of a damsel in Masako. It's clear that right from the very start, her father saw something in her because he made sure her education included the same education her brothers would have received. It's clear that he had great plans for her. And throughout her life, Masako proved to be incredibly intelligent and, dare I say, even brave. She is very similar to women like Eleanor of Aquitaine and Empress Matilda, who were able to enjoy a unique amount of autonomy and power once their husbands died and their sons replaced them. But Masako is unique in that she managed to retain power even after both of her sons die. I dare say she might be our most difficult damsel to date. Yeah, I remember in our introductory episode, you said you you said a line about, um, like the I I said you know like damsels are in our minds the woman who needs to be saved from the dragon. And you're like we are the dragons. Yes, and she is 100 percent the poster she child for that line. Literally, like, she yeah. is a dragon. She made herself a dragon and. Do not go against that one. You'll die. She was. She bad. had lots of corpses it's not in her. Just, you will die. Your father will die. <laughs> your your brother will son die. will die. Your, your grandson. Your children. She will put a curse on your entire death on you. Hereditary. Death on your cow. <laughs> Dishonor to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. She. Oh man. She's my favorite one I've done so far. I. Yeah. Good job on the research. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was a lot. It was yeah. Fun. Was this the research that you were? Sort of kind of stressed about. Yes. Because you wanted, because you guys, she's a fucking Virgo and she needs to get everything right. And oh my God. <laughs> well, I want to give you context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not enough to just be like, and oh yeah, she did this thing. Yeah. It's like, this is the political climate that this thing happened yeah. in. Is that, are you telling me that's what I have to do when I do mine? If you, it's up to you. If you tell oh, your own story. I mean, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. I yeah. find history more interesting when you understand the context. Because like you said, it's a, freaking soap opera yeah. and that's the soap opera is what makes it interesting not this battle happened yeah. on this day well, this is why it pisses me off that like shows like we're doing a lot of like remaking shows yes and i'm like you have so much source material to work with and none of you use it like, yeah use this shit i yeah. watched this that's that's why rain really upset me because Mary, Queen of Scots, her story is a tragedy. Yeah. And you don't really get that sense in the show. But there was a lot of soap opera. Like, her life was a soap opera, and they don't even tell it. Yeah. So. Gosh. Anyway. We have your question? Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, God, it's all the way over here. Hold on. (laughs) I wrote it down. I tell her ahead of time. Fuck off. I wrote it down. She is just across the table. She's like, just chaos. she's like prepared, Your but not fully prepared. Your fucking cheese cutting board is over here. You like my cheese cutting board. <laughs> That's Thank a you. <laughs> All right. So um, we kind of went back and forth on the, on what our question would be. And I decided that I wanted a question that had to do, that really related with um, what everyone's going through nowadays mm. <laughs> because of you know, being isolated in the pandemic and mm-hmm. all the craziness. So I, I have a lot of friends too, who are like, who have notably been a little more depressed or a little more anxious or stressed or whatever. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, what's a song, movie, or habit that really grounds you? So for me personally, it's a couple of habits. Um, the habit I've had ever since I was a kid was just like that iPod commercial with the girl 
in the earbuds and dancing to music. Yes. That's for me. It's, yeah. it's literally just immersing myself in music. And yeah, I will dance around my apartment to music by myself. Oh yeah. I have thrown my own mini raves yeah. in my own apartment. And <laughs> so that's, that's one of them. That's a coping mechanism from childhood. The one I have developed since COVID mm -hmm. is I've taken on yoga. Yeah. And I've also started to meditate mm -hmm. and I try to meditate for about 10 minutes a day usually four to five days a week. That's good. I will. Yeah. Well, so I usually do my workout then I'll do my stretching and then I break out. It's an app. It's called Headspace. And I just pick whatever meditation series is kind of speaking to me in the moment. Yeah. They have everything from like dealing with sadness to dealing with focus, anxiety. Like you just pick whatever subject is what you're dealing with right now. I will lay on my floor for 10 minutes and do the meditation. And by the end of it, I usually feel pretty grounded and it's yeah. been incredibly helpful. I like that. Not something I ever thought I would do. Right. Pre-COVID, <laughs> honestly, like I was that asshole that kind of made fun of yoga people. So I used to make fun of yoga people until I took a, like a yoga class in college yep. just because I was like, I need something. So here's three credits. Yeah. And the woman who instructed the class, she she did a, an interesting combination of yoga, Pilates, and Tai Chi. Okay. So it wasn't a whole lot of meditation, but it was a lot more of like body fluidity and really listening to your body yes. and getting into your body and making your body stronger, but not necessarily through like hardcore aggressive workouts. And that's great for people who like their body hurts all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely, I, I wish I could... I wish she had like, you know, YouTube, a YouTube channel then and did yeah. that because that combination too, like we had subs come in and they were very much the meditation yoga yogis. I don't know if that's a thing, but so I, I never liked those because ugh, I can't get out of my own head. I can't shut this off. <laughs> I, I used to be able to say that. Yeah. That's always been my biggest challenge um, is getting out of my head. Yeah. And it started with doing the float tank. I started doing that about oh, two yeah. years ago. It was really hard because yeah. I can't get out of my head. Yeah. Doing that and going to the little sessions gradually helped me. And then meditation truly has for 10 minutes. It, it's not 10 minutes. And then yeah. it ends up being like the last four or five minutes. Yeah. Gets me out of my head. It relaxes me totally. And yeah, it helps to ground me. Yeah. So the thing that really, really like gets me out of my head and really grounds me is reading. I mean... I will literally tell you, like, you'll be like, hey, you want to do this? I'm like, no, I'm reading. Yeah. And like, that's your cue that like, I'm, I'm either having a rough day, like, or I just, I just or need out of my head. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then, you know, reading. I'm either reading or another one is, is writing really helps yeah. ground me and get me out of my own head or takes what I'm feeling mm -hmm. and, 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 and puts it to something else or to someone else. It gives and, you an outlet. Yeah, yeah. So I can, yeah. I can, you know, solve my own issues, but through my character. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh. The reason this question popped into my head was because when I was texting you, I was listening to one of my favorite songs and the song, the song that will always without fail, no matter what I'm going through, make me stop and just breathe and just be like in the moment in myself yeah. is it's called warrior. It's by Anila featuring Einar Selvik. And you know, Einar Selvik because he is the lead for Wardruna. And he also does the music for or he collaborates and contributes to the music for Vikings. 
Okay. And Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh. Yes. Okay. So all cool. most of the Viking music that you, I the, the, the Norwegian music, music that yeah. you heard like from me, a lot of it's his. Okay. And then Anila, her voice is just, it's just so relaxed. Like there's something about her voice that just like relaxes you. Yeah. It just like makes you stop and just go, huh. <laughs> and it's, I just, I love that song. And I love the context of that song too, because it, it's a very quiet, mellow song, but it's also about being a warrior, like what it is to be a warrior. So it gets you out of your head, but it gives you something to focus on. Too. Yeah. And there's a line there's from it. And it's warriors move gracefully. We lay down our weapons at your feet. Take us with grace to the other field. So that's referring to Valkyries and how they take the warriors and take yeah. them to Valhalla. And then um, I await the Valkyries to welcome me home. Yeah, I remember that <laughs> when Ragnar dies. And there's a there's a line that gets repeated throughout the whole thing, and it's "Bring me grace," and that's the line that really kind of that's kind of, that almost becomes um, your mantra. My mantra, your yeah. Bring mantra. me grace, and it just nice. It, yeah, it brings me out of cool. whatever funk I'm in, and that's gonna be my next tattoo. Bring me grace. Yeah, it's gonna be okay. the Valkyrie symbol, <gasps> the wings, Ooh. the Valkyrie symbol, and then bring me grace. I'm excited for my next tattoo. Oh yeah. <laughs> We're going to be doing a consultation soon for our next tattoos. Yep. Mine's going to be the, it's a book quote from A Song of Ice and Fire. It's porcelain, ivory, steel, and I'm going to have a crescent moon with some blue roses around the moon. That she stole from me. I totally stole from you. <laughs> I don't, it's not going to be that exact design though. I'm yeah. working with a friend right now to design yes. it for me. I'm, I'm so really excited. excited. And I'm, thinking right here front of my shoulder maybe do you want to on that side because it's really close to your other one or do you want that on the other side i want it on this okay. side i want it on this side just, just go for gold and maybe i should do this side because this is my better side to Jesus photograph Jesus christ we'll see <laughs> all of know. my tattoos are on one side have you noticed that yes. all of my tattoos you can see from my left side except for one see i'm balanced no two yeah i'm not balanced <laughs> at all but i'll be balanced with the new one <laughs> yeah no. that's another thing that grounds me is tattoos see mm. <laughs> I know you're not the only person who's told me that. Yeah. Um, I am not one of those no. people who enjoys pain, but well, you don't. It's not that I enjoy the pain. It's just I have a high threshold for pain. So yeah. what's painful to you is not necessarily painful to me. Now this one, this mother effer that like yeah. moved into my shin. I apologize to you profusely about making fun of you. Yeah, <laughs> because holy shit, that hurt. Yeah, it hurts a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this has been difficult dambles. Yay! Thanks for listening, guys. I'm trying really hard to open this. And I was stupid and I closed <laughs> it. <laughs> my sources for this episode were Wikipedia, Japanese wiki-corpus.org, which is the Japanese wiki. Interesting. And then um, for the general background research, I found the podcast Geeks and Gaijins. Japanese history for Gaijin's podcast. And that's kind of where I got some of the information for the Genpai War. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So check them out. Um, that's honestly the only podcast I could even find on this period. That's so, so crazy. Again, if anyone loves Japanese culture and is interested in making a podcast, bleh, you've got I'll source totally material. Listen. Yeah. yeah I'll totally, <laughs> I, I will be a listener for sure. Yes. Yeah. This has been difficult damsels Yay. um you can find us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com i love how you always do the email and i always do the facebook i can't remember the facebook which is difficult damsels dash the podcast 
the podcast part <laughs> is what throws me. <laughs> and um, please rate and review us on yes, whatever please. podcasting app you use. That's how you get us out there. Yeah. And if you guys want to reach out to us, I mean, e- definitely email us, comment on Facebook. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your suggestions. This great story came from yeah. a suggestion. So yeah, absolutely. Definitely let us know. We want to hear from you. And if you have a suggestion for an era I am not familiar with, it helps if you can point me in the direction of sources. Yes, or give lots and lots of context. <laughs> yes. So yeah. All right. Thanks. Stay difficult. Stay difficult, guys. <laughs>